Well, we're going to continue into our narrative of the book of 1 Samuel, uh, looking specifically at the story uh, today uh, of David. Um, we had uh, taken a little bit of a break over Easter, uh, but we're returning now. Uh, last time we talked about this, uh, we just introduced David as a, a new character to the story. Uh, and of course, this is the same David that would kill the giant Goliath, and, and he would eventually rise to be, you know, perhaps the greatest king of Israel. But for now, uh, being very young and with seven older brothers, David was almost the forgotten one of his family. In fact, he'd been left behind to tend the sheep as his uh, father and his older brothers uh, went to join the prophet Samuel for a sacrifice in nearby Bethlehem. Uh, his father, Jesse, likely considered David to be too young to come to such an event, and so he left him behind to care for the sheep. But as you recall, this was no ordinary sacrifice. God and Samuel had some ulterior motives in inviting Jesse and his sons to this sacrifice. God was going to reveal his choice for the next king of Israel. Uh, the current king, King Saul, ha had been a bitter disappointment. Uh, although he was strong in battle, uh, Saul was weak in character, and he had repeatedly disobeyed the command of the Lord. And so God determined to end the dynasty of King Saul and to replace him with another. And this new king would be one of Jesse's sons. But as Jesse presented his uh, seven oldest sons to Samuel at the sacrifice, God revealed that he had not chosen any of them to be king. E even though Jesse's sons were, were tall and handsome, much like the current king Saul, God was not impressed by their appearance. You'll remember uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, which says, But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, King Saul and the seven oldest sons of Jesse, they all had an impressive appearance, but they didn't have the kind of heart that God was looking for. God was looking for a man after his own heart, someone who would do all the things that God wanted him to do. And that someone was the young David the forgotten one, left behind to tend the sheep. Well, to make a long story short, uh, when Samuel learned that since Jesse still had yet another son still at home, uh, he called for David to join them. And when he arrived, the Lord confirmed that David was indeed the one that he had chosen to be king. And so there in front of his father and his older brothers, Samuel anointed David to be the next king of Israel. And that's about where we left off last time. Uh, king Saul is still on the throne, and David, uh, a very young, uh, obscure shepherd from Bethlehem, had been anointed to be the next king of Israel. But the question is, how in the world will God make that transition? You know, how will God arrange to take this, this little nobody from the town of Bethlehem and place them on the throne of Israel? Well, as we're going to see from our passage today, God is already at work putting all the puzzle pieces together. So why don't we pause here and pray and ask God to teach us from his word this morning. Dear God, we thank you that we have this opportunity to look at your word, and, and we're, uh, we're so encouraged to know that it is part of such a, a grand narrative, as we talked about in that video just a moment ago, uh, and it's all about your son, Jesus. And so I pray that as we go through this narrative around David today, that we may be able to see how this points to Jesus and, and uh, gives us some more... Uh, even just some more understanding of who you are and how you're working in the world uh, back then and, and even now in our, our lives. So I pray that you would teach us more about yourself uh, through our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to be reading through, uh, continuing on in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, we ended at verse 13 last week, and I want to start with that same verse again this week, 
because verse 13 makes an important contrast with verse 14. I'll show you what I mean. Look at verse 13. It says, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. All right, so the, the key thing to notice in, in this verse is that middle sentence. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Hold that thought in your mind as we look now at verse 14. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Now there's a couple of things that we want to talk about in these verses, but the first thing I want you to notice is just this contrast between how the Spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon David from that day on, and at the same time, the Lord removes his spirit from Saul. Even though Saul is still officially the king of Israel, uh, we can see that God is no longer supporting him in that rule. God removes his Holy Spirit from Saul, and he pours it out on David. Uh, Saul no longer has God's divine empowerment to lead the people of Israel. Everything he does now, he does in his own strength and ability. But David, on the other hand, is filled with the Spirit of God. He has God's divine empowerment. Through the Holy Spirit, David has strength, uh, wisdom, foresight, and understanding that is not his own. He's tapped into the, the wisdom and the power of God. Uh, what, a, what an incredible advantage that would be. You know, can you imagine if that were you? Can you imagine being empowered by the God of the universe? Can you imagine uh, having God prompt you and lead you in all of your decisions, what you should do and what you should not do? Can you imagine having God's Holy Spirit guiding your thoughts, you know, giving you divine wisdom and insight. Wouldn't that be incredible? Well, yes, it is. This is exactly the gift that God has given to every believer. Just last week, we saw, uh, as we read through the Easter story, how Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to empower every believer. Uh, just before he ascended into heaven, Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 24, 49, he says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Later on, Peter would preach in uh, Acts 2.38. It says, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you, and, uh, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. You know, one of the, the greatest gifts that God has given us in this life, and his gifts are many, is the gift of his Holy Spirit living within us, giving us uh, guidance and direction, uh, teaching us and, and giving us understanding, empowering us to do all the things that God has created us to do. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, you know, it doesn't just leave us to, to muddle on through life on our own, doing the best that we can. No, God sends his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. His very presence goes with us everywhere we go, every moment of every day. You know, in any moment of need, we have an immediate, intimate audience with the all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe. Now, that's incredible. Now, I can't imagine being like Saul, having experienced that the awesome, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, and then losing that. You know, having God take his Holy Spirit away. What an incredible loss. You know, it's no wonder that David would later write after his sin with Bathsheba, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. 
You know, David very well could have had Saul's experience in mind as he wrote that, and he did not want to experience that same fate. But thankfully for us as believers today, uh, we don't have to worry about God taking his Holy Spirit away from us. See, in the Old Testament times, uh, the Holy Spirit would usually only come upon certain people for a certain time for uh, certain tasks. Uh, we see that with uh, King Saul and, and David. Uh, we see that with judges like Gideon and Samson. We also see that with uh, certain craftsmen uh, as they were building the, the temple, for example. Uh, they too were empowered by the Holy Spirit to help them carry out that particular task. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, the role of the Holy Spirit changed a little bit. Now God promises to send the Holy Spirit upon every believer to help us live out the life that God has called us to in the kingdom of God. And God has promised that the Holy Spirit will stay with us forever. Uh, in John 14, 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. In this New Testament period in which we live, uh, the Holy Spirit is a permanent gift. In fact, he is the proof of our salvation. He's our guarantee of all that God has promised us. Uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it says, He, that's God, has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. So we don't have to pray like David, you know, asking God not to take his Holy Spirit from us because we know that God won't do that. If we've become children of God through faith in Christ, then, then God has permanently identified us as his own by giving us the Holy Spirit, and he will never remove him from us. But of course, we do need to be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit um, by how we live. We may not ever lose God's presence in our lives, but we can certainly hinder his work uh, in us and through us. Uh, but of course, this is, this is becoming a little bit of a rabbit trail from our story of David. It's a good rabbit trail, but a rabbit trail nonetheless. So let's get back to our text. Uh, getting back to verse 14, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. So we can see here that not only did the Lord leave Saul, but he sent another tormenting spirit to take his place. And this might strike you as being kind of odd, that, that God would send a tormenting spirit to torment Saul. But keep in mind that by rejecting the Lord, Saul had chosen by default to become an enemy of God. Uh, we might not, uh, or I should say, um, yeah, he had chosen by default to become an enemy of God and basically to be subject then to God's wrath and judgment, which at this time came in the form of this tormenting spirit. You know, there, there is no middle ground in our relationship with God. You know, we can either choose to obey him as our king or we can choose to reject him and remain as his enemies. We might not consciously, you know, choose to be his enemy, but by rejecting him as the Lord of our lives, you know, that's our default position. And this should be a strong reminder for us or a warning for us. You know, there really is no fence to sit on when it comes to our decision uh, to reject God or to accept him as our king, as our Lord and Savior. You know, if we fail to accept him as our king, by default, we've rejected him and we remain his enemies. There's there's no third option. It's one way or the other, and the results couldn't be more different. You know, on one hand, if we do accept Christ as our king, choosing to live in obedience to him, then God embraces us as his children. Uh, he gives us forgiveness and, and freedom. Uh, he offers us joy and peace and eternal life. You'll, you'll never find a more loving heavenly father. 
But if we reject God as our king, if we refuse to obey him and we, we scorn the gift of his son and, and the forgiveness that he offers, then all that's left for us is God's judgment and wrath. You know, there is no middle ground in our relationship with God. Either we are his dearly loved children or we remain as his enemies. And that's exactly the position that Saul found himself in, as an enemy of God, now facing the consequences of his choice to reject God. Uh, as Hebrews 10, 31 says, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so I would just encourage you, as you consider your relationship with God, not to be fooled into thinking that there's, there's somehow a third option for you. Really, you can either choose to submit to God now as your loving Heavenly Father, or you can face him later as your judge and jury. There is no alternate option. But lest we get on a, another rabbit trail, let's return to our passage and look at verse 15. It says, Some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. Now this is a pretty interesting couple of verses here. First of all, it's interesting that Saul's servants have the insight and discernment to realize what's really going on here. It's not just that Saul was in a, a terrible mood all the time, but they discerned that there was, there was something spiritual going on here as well. Now, I'm not one to you know, find a, a demon behind every negative thing that happens in life, uh, but the Bible is clear that there is a spiritual world around us that is very real, very active, and it makes a significant impact on the events uh, of our life. Uh, and I'm probably more oblivious to some of that than maybe I should be. But these servants of Saul were very spiritually discerning. You know, they could tell that there was something more to, to, to uh, Saul's mood swings than just him getting up on the wrong side of bed. They could tell that there was a spiritual element to Saul's struggles. The second interesting thing that I notice here is what they prescribed to deal with the issue. Music. Right? They said, let us find a good musician to play soothing music whenever that tormenting spirit troubles you, and soon you will be well again. Somehow, they expected good, soothing music to significantly impact a spiritual issue. Isn't that interesting? Now, of course, science tells us that music is good for both our, our, our bodies and minds. Uh, I was reading uh, this week that several hospitals, they actually use music therapy to help coronary patients uh, because they found that soothing music actually uh, helps reduce blood pressure and pulse rate. Uh, Psychology Today, back in 1985, uh, reported that uh, there was a, a certain mental hospital in Great Britain, and, and one wing of the hospital was built next to a chapel, and the chapel had hymn singing every day. And they found that the patients in that one wing of the hospital got better faster than all the other patients in the other wings. You know, it's, it's pretty clear that music is powerful stuff. So powerful that these servants of Saul prescribed music to address Saul's spiritual issues. And we're going to see a little later that their prescription worked. So music clearly does more than just tickle our ears. It seems to impact our entire being, body, mind, and soul. You know, they say that laughter is the best medicine, but perhaps music is a close second. But with music being so powerful, I think this should really cause us to be very intentional in what music we fill our lives with. In fact, the scriptures tells us uh, that they're filled with instructions to tell us to fill our lives with good, uplifting, God-honoring music. Uh, for example, in the Psalms we read, Let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. It is fitting for the pure to praise him. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. Make music for him on the ten-string harp. 
Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. In the New Testament, Paul writes, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. In other words, let music be a significant part of your life. Let it be a significant part of your worship to the Lord. You know, music is yet another gift that God has given us, and its impact on our life is probably more significant than we realize. But anyways, here we are going down yet another rabbit trail. Let's get back to our passage. So Saul's servants suggest that they find a good musician to, to play some music to help soothe Saul whenever the tormenting spirit comes around. And so Saul replies in verse 17, All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. And I just wonder, which one of Jesse's sons could be this, this talented harp player that they're talking about? And it's David, of course. Doesn't God work in, in just crazy ways? You know, of all the people in the entire kingdom of Israel, and there's, there's probably millions of them at this time, but of all those people, the one person that gets invited to come play music for the king is the one person who's been anointed to inherit his throne. That's crazy. But that's God. God works in such amazing ways. What better way for this young shepherd boy uh, to get introduced to ruling the kingdom of Israel than to go and spend a bunch of time with the king, you know, at the king's invitation, no less. And of course, Saul has no idea that David has been anointed as the future king. You know, as far as he knows, he's just a, a young kid who plays a mean guitar or, or harp, as they called them back then. So we read in verse 19. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son, David, the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul, along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. You know, and I just love how God masterfully weaves this story together. How he brings young David out of the sheep pasture and into the king's courtyard, serving in the king's presence, even standing alongside the king in battle as his armor bearer. You know, God has put David exactly where he needs to be. He, he's giving this young shepherd boy all the training that he needs to one day be king. You know, God took this, this tormenting spirit and, and David's skill as a harp player and, and Saul's servant's discernment, and he mixed them all together to create the perfect situation so that David could be exactly where he needed to be. And that's the encouragement that I want to leave you with today, that God has put you exactly where you need to be. You know, chances are your life has probably taken some crazy twists and turns for you to end up where you are today. But that hasn't been by accident. There is a God in heaven who loves you like crazy, and he has orchestrated all of these events and, and all of these people and all of these situations so that you can be exactly where he wants you to be today. You know, and while he's probably not training you to be the next king of Israel, you can be sure that he's got something else incredible in mind. You know, maybe there's some opportunities that he's preparing you for. Uh, maybe there's some character issues in your life that he's working on. 
You know, maybe there's someone important that you just need to meet and, and become friends with. Maybe there's some experiences that you need to have to prepare you for what's ahead. Maybe God's got something cool to teach you about himself or about yourself. But whatever God is doing in your life, you can be sure that he's doing it because he loves you. And he's put you exactly where you need to be for your good and for his glory. You know, no human could come up with a better way for David to begin his transition to the throne. No one could come up with a better training program for him. No one could have thought of a better way to position him for the future. And God does the same thing in your life. God has plans in place for your life that are far better than anything that we could ever scheme or imagine. Of course, some of those plans may involve some some hardship and some difficulty. But in the end, God's ways are always the best ways. And so I just encourage you this morning to trust him, to invite God to have his will done in your life, no matter what that looks like. Just believe that God has placed you where you need to be for your good and for his glory. Let's pray together this morning. Dear God, we thank you for this story of David. And it's just a a small part in this grand narrative. But out of this, God, I pray that we would uh, learn a little lesson, uh, a lesson from Saul and from David and how you weave these stories together. And we thank you that you're at work weaving our story as well. Uh, You take us through hard things, you give us blessings, and but you do all those things for our good to put us right where we need to be so that you can accomplish your will in our lives. God, I pray that whatever we're going through today, maybe we are going through some really difficult things. Maybe we don't know why in the world you would allow our circumstances to be as they are so that we find ourselves here. But God, may we be encouraged to know that This is not a surprise to you that you've orchestrated all these things, uh, whether you've caused them or allowed them. Either way, you're going to use those things for our good and your glory. So God, may we just learn to trust you in all of this. As the, the song says, and as you've taught us to pray, may thy will be done in our lives. God, I pray that you would just be at work and help us to learn to trust you as you do that work. Uh, so that uh, we can have confidence knowing that you have put us exactly where we need to be uh, to accomplish your will. So thank you for this encouragement this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.